Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I, Quinn Cummings, give advice to people I do not know. If you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, does Quinn really want to give me bad advice? And the answer is no, I do not want to give you bad advice. I want to give you good advice. But I have absolutely no qualification to give you any sort of advice at all. I am not sunlight. I am not bleach. I am not hydroxychloroquine. I give advice because it amuses me to do so. So you might be asking yourself, will this advice I'm about to give you be good advice? Well, I think the answer is in the title of the podcast. If you want me to give you bad advice, you can leave a question for me at qcbad.com. It's completely anonymous, and better yet, it's completely free. So I can offer up this advice with a 100% money-back guarantee. Now, let's get started. This first one today comes from qcbad.com. Subject, COVID boredom. Dear Quinn, I have been busily working at home since March 23rd. I am not a cook or a baker, so that's out. I don't have a dog to walk, so that's out too. Have been spending my time exercising, catching up on my books and DVDs, and doing some spring cleaning. Any suggestions would be very welcome. I think you need to find a way to be of service. Okay, you don't have a dog. Could you foster a baby kitten? All it takes is a bathroom you're willing to share. You're allergic? You're not interested? Okay. Is there something you're good at you like to do that you could do as a fundraiser? I have very few skills. I mean, it's kind of alarming how few skills I have. But I like making craft cocktails. So I created a fundraiser for a local animal rescue where I bring a craft cocktail to your house for a small donation to the rescue. Do you have a bunch of friends who are artists? Can you create a virtual art tour or a virtual variety show? My friend Alec Mappa is basically hosting a talk show on Instagram Live every day, inviting his friends on, asking viewers to donate to a charity that provides meals for nurses. In the few weeks he's done this, he has provided hundreds of meals. Another friend, Seth Rudetsky, is hosting live shows every day with Broadway talent he knows. He has raised nearly a million dollars for the Actors Fund, which supports all kinds of artists in hard times. You know, like now. It it doesn't have to be big, though. Don't let the size of what they're doing put you off this idea. Another person I know is taking everyone's desire to spring clean and letting these people in her life know she'll take their used towels to a local SPCA where towels are always needed. Find a small problem you want to help fix. Then, help fix it. How's that for some bad advice? This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, my sister-in-law drives me nuts. How do I change? Dear Quinn, my husband is from a big family, and they're nearly all people I would choose as friends. One sister-in-law drives me absolutely crazy. I find her selfish and rigid to the point of being mean. An example. I commented that I liked a certain pitcher. She then spent five solid minutes loudly telling me why I was wrong to like it. This happens often and not just to me. 
We're all so politically opposite. She thinks Trump is doing a great job and Obama was a criminal. This doesn't help matters. I could go on, but this isn't about her. It's about me. How do I stop being so upset by her? How do I stop letting her wreck my day? I'm no shrinking violet, but we all have to spend time together, and I could use some help figuring out how to acknowledge her, let her skim the surface, but not get inside. Your sister-in-law is an energy vampire. She gets her basic nutrients off being a contrarian. It feels personal because she's shouting at you, but it's really no more personal than if she was shouting at a tub of ice cream she was eating. Unfortunately, this makes you the Ben and Jerry's. So, let's throw some weird ingredients in that ice cream. Let's ruin her meal. When she starts one of these, excuse yourself politely and then walk across the room and I, I don't know, look out the window. If she follows you and asks you about it, smile at her pleasantly and say something like, you're hilarious, and then wander off again. Or somewhere in her rant, pick out a word and ask a completely unrelated question. Speaking of meat, why don't more people make meatloaf? It's really cheap and it's a tasty menu option. Start cleaning out your purse. Delete pictures from your phone. If she's outraged, say blandly, Oh, I'm listening. I'm just trying to find something to do with my hands. In short, Break up the usual dynamic of you say something, you dread the inevitable pouncing on you, she pounces on you. Instead of hating these loud monologues of hers, find yourself kind of anticipating them, imagining her fury and confusion as you suddenly lean over and meticulously relace your shoes. She wants to box because she's good at boxing. I want you to get really good at Aikido. Good luck. This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, my son swears like a trucker. Dear Quinn, my 12-year-old son swears like a motherfucker. I couldn't resist. I admit, I swear a lot, but I am making an effort to cut it out. But he seems to ignore that and continue to swear so much that even his friends have said he shouldn't swear so much to no avail. Any suggestions? I used to be part of the parents' committee at our church. Part of our responsibility was feeding the middle and high schoolers before youth group. You hear a lot when children are standing online waiting for food. The middle schoolers were epically foul-mouthed to each other. The high schoolers rarely were. It's either a phase for your son or... It's not. Either way, you nagging him is going to do absolutely no good and may, in fact, become the hill of F-bombs he decides to die on. Whenever he does it, as best as you can, ignore it. Unlike a lot of things he could find to rebel with, this won't kill him. And who knows, maybe he's our next Tarantino. This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, I was laid off from work during the pandemic by someone I considered a dear friend. Dear Quinn, coming off an ex 
exceeds expectations review and in talks with my boss regarding next steps to promotion, the pandemic hit and I was, the only person in my team of seven, laid off. This message was given to me in a cold clinical fashion by someone who was not just my boss, but someone I considered to be a dear friend, i.e. Thanksgiving at their home, weekend outings at CatCon type dear friend. After the initial shock wore off, I reached out to ask her why I was the only one from our team impacted, and she basically replied with what seemed like a company pre-prepared statement that basically equaled reasons. Since then, there has been no further communication from her. I feel like I deserve some explanation of how or why I was selected for the culling, and some human, not corporate bot, communication empathy from my friend. I'm trying to cope with the loss of a job and the loss of a friendship that may be impossible to recover. I'm going to say a harsh thing. You thought the two of you were friends. When it came right down to it, she did not. Or she thought you were kind of friends, CatCon friends. But if the choice was you or her job, she chose her job. As my former boss used to say when someone was unexpectedly hateful, now you know with whom you're having the pleasure. If we agree that the English language should have more words to indicate levels of friendship, so miscommunications like this don't happen, the question becomes, what do you do now? You grieve. Because it hurts. She may not have set out to betray you, but it feels like a betrayal. The friendship may not have technically died, but it's not going to Zumba anytime soon. Grieving for something lost takes exactly as long as it takes and not one second less. Cry, feel embarrassed, feel angry, feel angry with yourself because, damn it, you still miss her company. What I won't allow you to feel is ashamed to feel as if you gave too much of yourself to this friendship. The part of you which is capable of finding joy and companionship wherever your life takes you is never wrong. You will find new work, and you will find new friends. This situation is huge right now, at least in part because our lives are very small. If it's any consolation, soon enough it will be in your rearview mirror as you drive towards your new life. This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, Cocktail Recommendations for New Drinker. Dear Quinn, I have never been one to drink alcohol much, largely because I don't like it. Beer is sour and awful. Wine isn't much better. But times are stressful and I've started having an evening drink. I'm currently drinking mango moscato, peach cider, and Mike's hard lemonade. Not all at once. And not to excess. I have been laughed at by sophisticated drinkers for years. And I would like to be able to order something at a bar without being embarrassed. This seems like a good time to experiment. What do you recommend? Is there a book or website that can help me? You can never go wrong starting with the Dale DeGroff book, The Craft of the Cocktail. He can be credited with bringing back craft cocktails to America, and he has forgotten more than I will ever, ever know. 
As for what you drink, never be embarrassed by what you like. These sophisticated drinkers, they're being jackasses, and I hereby give you permission to drink what you like while you stare them down. If you want to try something in a bar not too far afield from what you've been drinking, you could order a lemon drop. You could order a Bay Breeze. You could order a mojito. Or you could order your hard lemonade and hold your head up high because you are doing no harm and you tipped the bartender well. This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, my daughter's butt. Dear Quinn, our household during lockdown consists of me, my 15 and 9-year-old daughters, and my husband, who is not the 15-year-old's dad, but who has been in our lives since she was two. I have a lot of self-esteem issues with my body that I know I got from my mom. She probably got her issues from her mom. I decided I didn't want the legacy to continue with my daughters, so I've worked really hard to raise them without focusing on their body dimensions. It worked. They are confident and don't have any hang-ups about their bodies. This is the problem. Recently, my 15-year-old has filled out beautifully and rapidly in her posterior region. She owns a few pairs of shorts and shorty pajama pants that were acquired in her younger years that definitely don't fit anymore but she insists on wearing them around the house. They are so short that most of her bum sticks out of them. She may as well be wearing a G-string. I haven't said anything because I love that she feels confident and secure enough to show off her body, and I don't want to plant any seeds of insecurity. But it's starting to make even me feel uncomfortable, and that makes me think that this may not be appropriate for wearing in front of her stepdad. Should I leave it and rejoice in her lack of self-consciousness? Should I say something? And if so, how should I say it? You're in a tough spot. Women's bodies always feel political. And who wants to argue politics right now? And your daughter feels happy and good in her skin, and you would sooner cut off your hand than take that from her. On the other hand, the shorts are too small. My suggestion, the next time they come out, Admire something about them, maybe the color. Then hearken back to how long she's had them. Commend her on getting all that wear out of them. Then, without any drama, suggest she sit with you while you two find as close a replacement pair as you can online. You're working with her. You are finding the next pair because she has outgrown this pair. She pushes back. She doesn't want to give them up. You agree. She doesn't have to give them up but she can wear them only in her room. She has had them a long time, and she has outgrown them. It's time to buy another pair. She pushes back again. You hold your ground. She has had them for a long time, and she has outgrown them. It's time to buy another pair. See what I'm doing? You aren't going to fight or say things that might hurt her confidence in her new body. You are going to find a bland, factual statement, and you are going to cling to it. You've had them a long time, and you've outgrown them. You may wear them in your room, but outside your room, you need a new pair. Something like that. She'll rage, she'll pout, she'll storm. You repeat yourself. If she wears them outside her room, repeat that statement and add nothing. This isn't an editorial. This is data. 
If she outgrew a pair of jeans, you would replace the jeans. You are just replacing clothing. Yes, this conversation will suck. But if you don't engage with the drama of it, you stand a better chance of not creating a situation where you say something you regret. This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, teleworking as retirement prep. Dear Quinn, I'm in need of some bad advice. Since COVID-19, I have been at home teleworking. My husband is also at home because he was lucky enough to retire a few years earlier. My friends say that my teleworking, a.k.a. being at home with the husband all day, is practice for when I too will be retired. Lucky for me, I retire next year. Right now, though, it all sucks, and I'm really noticing I'm not sure I want to spend every waking moment with my husband. How can I ease into this whole retirement stage and still keep my freedom? You plan to volunteer. You plan to volunteer a lot. Look around at any charity and notice the high percentage of women over the age of 60 who are running things. Many of them are there because they love being of service with their new spare time, but more than a few of them are there because the thought of all day, every day with their spouse makes them want to pull out each of their eyebrow hairs very slowly. America is going to be awash in opportunities to help next year. If you do this, everyone will just commend you on your altruism. They won't know. Okay, I think that's enough bad advice for today. And remember, I can't give you bad advice if you don't ask for it. Your question doesn't have to be profound, complex, or emotionally demanding. It can be about pretty much anything because, let's face it, I am unqualified to offer advice across a wide range of subject matter. And as we all know, sometimes the nuttiest question gets the best bad advice. You can reach me on Twitter, at Quincy, that's Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y at Twitter.com. Or you can post a question to QCBad.com. Just log into letter Q, letter C, B-A-D.com, and there's a question form right there. The question can be any length, but I'm finding they work better if they're shorter. Just a hint. Before I go, I'd like to thank Richard Emmett, who composed my groovy music, and Keith Greenstein, who designed my groovy logo. People have already started asking me how they can get a Bad Advice Fork in a Toaster t-shirt or coffee mug, and my answer to them is, hang in there, we are working on it. I also want to thank Phil Rohr and Prime Rib Productions for making it possible for you to hear any of this. Okay, that's enough for now. Keep those questions coming, and I'll see you all next time. <laughs>